Chapters fifty nine and sixty of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fifty nine. Secret Service. Shadrach Bane, having issued his advertisement, waited like the spider for that unwary fly which he deemed must, sooner or later, even if the fly should haply be still a wanderer in foreign lands, become enmeshed in his net no spider in the last stage of attenuation for lack of flies was ever more anxious or impatient than mr bain the advertisement had appeared three times and he was beginning to think that his return to england had been altogether a mistake and the absolute surrender of all his chances when triumph and hope came to him in the shape of a letter from mrs stringfold a letter addressed from number seventeen willoughby crescent hyde park now mrs tringfold was not likely to be residing in so fashionable and expensive a district as tyburnia if she were living at her own charge it was clear that she was still with lady perriam and willoughby crescent was lady perriam's abode whereby mr bain felt that the fly was almost in his web mrs tringfold's missive was one of those composite documents fluctuating between a note and letter in which her class delights it ran thus mrs mary tringfold's compelments to mr y esquire which advertised in the times paper and i am the mary tringfold mentioned which her late husband was a farmer at ildrope farm i shall be glad to hear of anything to my advantage and she will call if mr y will say where your obedient servant mrs tringfold p s i am in service with a lady and can only come out after the baby is gone to bed why or shadrach bane by his willing agent john sadgrove the landlady's eldest hope made haste to answer this letter by a telegram appointing that evening at nine o'clock for an interview at the quayside hotel embankment street strand that postscript about the baby gave mr bane the delightful assurance that lady perriam was to be found in willoughby crescent weak as were her maternal instincts she was hardly likely to separate herself from a son upon whom her future position in some measure depended go where she will she'll stick to the boy mused mr bain the only question is whether by this time she may not be the wife of edmund standen i shall know that before ten o'clock to-night if mrs tringfold keeps her appointment the private sitting-room which mr bain had the privilege of using at the quayside hotel was a little bit of a three-cornered apartment on the first floor cut off a landing and opening into a larger room in which the landlady and her family took their meals in this larger room mr bane was to plant himself close to the door of communication which was to be left artfully ajar so as to give him the opportunity of hearing mr sadgrove's interrogation of the visitor and even of giving that young man a whispered hint if he found him wandering from his brief or not master of the situation mr sadgrove to whose budding genius any little business of a secret and furtive nature was peculiarly interesting flung himself heart and soul into the case he had ever admired shadrach bane had sat at his feet as it were from time to time during the west country solicitor's brief visits to the quayside hotel and he felt proud to serve him even without consideration of that modest pecuniary reward which mr bain had promised him the young man felt as important as an old bailey practitioner when mrs tringfold was ushered into the triangular parlour where he sat with an official-looking inkstand and a choir of foolscap before him the business of the legacy was speedily dispatched there was a certain miss harper of moss street twenty miles from monkhampton with whom mrs tringfold had lived ten years ago as a confidential maid and housekeeper and whom she had nursed in her last illness she didn't leave you anything did she 
asked john sadgrove with a business-like air not a sixpence sir though it was expected by most folks that she would leave me well provided for the family give me some portion of her wardrobe she had a handsome wardrobe had old miss harper not having the heart to wear her things for fear of spoiling em but hoarding of em like in her drawers in chests the fall i have on this evening was miss harper's real spanish blonde and everlasting wear well i am happy to tell you that one of the late miss harper's relatives happened the other day to come across a packet of papers and amongst them there was a memorandum in which miss harper stated her intention to leave you ten pounds well sir it isn't much considering how faithfully i served her but anything comes welcome after so long the memorandum was not a legal document remember miss harper's relatives were under no obligation to act upon it but with generosity that does them credit they decided to let you have the whole benefit of miss harper's unfulfilled intention i am commissioned by them to pay you the ten pounds i'm sure sir i'm much beholden shall i write and thank the gentleman or lady no they require no acknowledgment they're very good sir and i'm bound to say miss harper's family always treated me liberally the family gave me my mourning everything of the best though not so good as the black i'm wearing now for sir aubrey Perriam. sir aubrey Perriam, the gentleman who married a pretty young woman shortly before his death said mr sadgrove carelessly as if he had known all about it ever so long ago i suppose the widow is married again by this time no sir not married answered mrs tringfold significantly but thinking about it eh thinking about it a good deal more than becomes a lady whose poor dear husband hasn't been six months in the grave it's all very well to put up a marble tablet and shut yourself up in your own room and see no company and call that grief said mrs tringfold sententiously but if you go and marry a young man you was keeping company with beforehand not six months after your husband's funeral them as looks deep into things will think your marble tablet and your doleful ways nothing more than a blind blinds is made of a good many more things than calico at sixpence halfpenny a yard sir added mrs tringfold winding up with an aphorism you can't expect grief to last for ever in young widows rejoined mr sadgrove jauntily but i suppose lady perriam is hardly thinking of marrying just yet awhile six months hence or so she might make up her mind she'll show some respect for the conveniences as our french neighbours have it what would you say sir if i was to tell you that lady perriam is going to be married to her first sweetheart which all Headingham knows there was carrying on between them before sir aubrey took a fancy to her to-morrow morning nonsense mrs stringfold i can't believe such a thing it's gospel truth sir whether you believe it or whether you do not where are they to be married at st francis of sissy sir just at the back of the crescent a new church and very high they say though to my eye the steeple isn't as tall as the spire of our new church at monkhampton what time is the ceremony to take place at half-past ten and it's to be strictly private as it had need be they're to go to the lakes for their honeymoon and then back to Perriam to brazen it out as i say which mr standen being in the monkhampton bank can't stay long away such a low match for a baronet's widow and to give that precious boy a stepfather before he's cut his double teeth they are to meet at the church i suppose now 
said mr sadgrove in a conversational tone after he had helped mrs stringfold to a glass of sherry and a biscuit yes lady perriam and him is to meet at the church at twenty minutes past ten and it'll all be over by eleven celine her maid is to be the only person with her and me and my blessed boy are to start off to brighton directly after the wedding and stay there in lodgings that has been took for us in rock gardens till we get our orders to go back to perriam it's to be the dismalest wedding as ever i heard of how long has lady perriam been in willoughby crescent close upon three weeks we came here straight from brussels oh you were at brussels previously were you pray take another glass of that sherry it won't do you any harm yes sir wishing you your health we was three days in brussels after we left antwerps where i didn't see nothing worth looking at but the pole parrots in the zoological gardens my lady was three days at brussels seeing all the sights pictures and churches and the battle of waterloo and then we left as abruptly as we'd left antwerps and came back to london where we stopped one night at the hotel and the next morning mr standon came to say as he had found a furnished house to suit in willoughby crescent and before sir st john's dinner-time we was all comfortably settled and glad i was to find myself among my rational fellow-creatures once more instead of those jabbering belgies do you know why lady perriam came back to london so suddenly asked mr sadgrove prompted by a whisper behind the door no sir not any more than that i heard my lady tell mr standon one day at brussels when i went to her room to fetch the baby one can't help having ears that there was no place like london and that people were free to do what they liked there without any one noticing them london's like a forest she said we shall be lost in it edmund it used to give me the cold shivers down my back to hear her call him by his christian name and sir aubrey not cold in his coffin as you may say the door behind mr sadgrove now gave a gentle creak or groan which in the language of the spirits meant that mr bayne had heard enough so mr sadgrove forthwith paid mrs tringfold her legacy ten glistening new sovereigns which made the young man's mouth water and dismissed her very well satisfied with what she had heard to her advantage well mr bayne did i manage it all right asked john sadgrove with conscious merit as shadrach bayne emerged from the adjoining chamber you couldn't have done it better john and here's the sovereign i promised you but you must beg a few hours liberty to-morrow morning and go with me to the church where lady perriam thinks she is going to be married i may find you useful as a witness i'll run round to the office to-morrow morning to ask leave of absence and be back here at half-past nine answered john sadgrove blithely are you going to put a stop to the marriage he asked i think it's more than likely i shall replied mr bayne with a grim smile sixty just impediment it was the morning appointed for sylvia's second marriage that union which was to be the blessed fulfilment of all her girlish dreams which was to bring her nothing but happiness restless had been her slumbers through the night that was gone and haunted by awful dreams not once but several times in vague and various shapes the event of the coming day had been enacted sometimes the scene had been lifelike enough the circumstances possible some element of reason in the fabric of her vision at other times all had been densest darkness and wildest confusion she had been drifting with her lover over storm-driven waves they had stood together on the bare and empty deck of a wrecked vessel 
while a priest in splendid vestments such as she had seen at st gudule in brussels had recited the marriage service and behold just as he had joined their hands a gigantic wave rose white crested and broke over the ship sweeping away priest and bridegroom and leaving her alone whirling madly onward over that hideous ocean in another dream she and edmund had been together on some tropical waste of level sand under a copper-coloured sky the sultry air thick with white fever-tainted vapour and every now and then a cloud of burning sand blown over them by the sudden blast of a hot wind here too they knelt side by side and a voice that came the dreamer knew not whence repeated the words of the marriage service but before it was ended the bride looked at her companion and lo he had fallen dead at her side and a vulture was swooping down upon him through that awful sky it was broad day when she awoke from this last vision she started up in her bed her forehead damp with the cold dews of fear and looked at the summer light shining in upon her through the uncurtained windows thank god it was only a dream she sprang up rang for celine and began the operations of the toilette though it was only six o'clock celine remonstrated politely urged upon her mistress the duty of looking her loveliest in her wedding bonnet the most delicious chapeau of white chip ostrich feathers and palest mauve the faintest suggestion of half-mourning as a delicate compliment to the departed sir aubrey it's no use talking celine replied lady perriam impatiently i shan't attempt to sleep any more i have had such horrible dreams horrible dreams on the eve of so happy a union mais madame c'est incroyable it is true nevertheless i suppose i have had too much anxiety lately a cause des dons du pauvre petit said celine naively there had been trouble lately about sir st john's dental development and the maid imagined that maternal solicitude might have disturbed her lady's slumbers sylvia felt considerably refreshed after a cold bath a cup of strong tea and an elaborate toilette she looked lovely in her wedding dress of pearl-grey satin trimmed with heavy spanish point lace a matronly costume which rendered the youthfulness of her beauty all the more striking and now run downstairs and get me my letters she said to celine as the clock on the chimney-piece struck nine the post must have come by this time the only letter she thought of was a possible greeting from edmund one loving line perhaps to welcome the day she had communicated with the housekeeper at Parium place and ordered that letters should be sent to her but of any such letter she had no thought this morning celine came back with a bulky little packet wrapped in the thickest and creamiest paper sealed with several seals a jeweller's parcel evidently this was edmund's greeting she also brought a letter a foreign letter addressed to Parium place in a delicate nervous hand a hand sylvia knew very well and readdressed to willoughby crescent in the housekeeper's clumsier characters this letter was from mr carew his epistles were not frequent and their purport was generally either to ask or to acknowledge money he had continued his easy life in the south of france only varying it by an occasional visit to paris and sylvia had every reason to suppose that he would spend the rest of his days in that agreeable exile she had been sufficiently liberal to him and they corresponded in most affectionate terms but sylvia did not sigh for reunion with the father in whose companionship she had spent so many years of her life she opened edmund's packet first it contained a ruby velvet case with her monogram her new monogram s s in gold 
and inside the case on a bed of white satin reposed a diamond cross the gems of large size and of purest colour upon a slip of paper in the case edmund had written these lines wear this to-morrow dearest for my sake instead of the jewels you showed me last night i should like to think that you wore my gift rather than sir aubrey's on that solemn day which is to unite us for ever my own generous edmund murmured sylvia and unwanted tears clouded her vision she had shown him her diamond necklace sir aubrey's gift the day before and had asked him half in sport if she should wear it on her wedding-day she clasped the cross on her neck before she even thought of her father's letter the diamond sparkled between the folds of rich lace which veiled throat and bosom when her lover's offering had been adjusted to her satisfaction with much enthusiasm and ejaculation on the part of Celine, lady perriam seated herself at the breakfast-table to sip a second cup of tea and to read her father's letter you can go now Celine, she said but come to me at a quarter to ten to arrange my bonnet and veil mr carew's letter was briefer than usual for in the calm retirement of his unoccupied life he had been wont to write to his daughter with considerable amplitude he prided himself upon being able to write a good letter and his epistles had been for the most part as elaborate as those of travellers who have an eye to publishing their effusions in a permanent form at the request of friends to-day the letter was brief and the tidings it conveyed were not agreeable sylvia's brow darkened as she read it my dear sylvia after two years residence in this genial climate i find my health established and that nature has in some measure compensated herself by profound rest for the wear and tear of those years of toil which had made me an old man before my time with renewed strength i find reawakening within me those yearnings for home and country which are i suppose innate in every breast you are now your own mistress rich and secure in the noble position which your attractions won for you if i come now to sit beside your hearth or perchance to dwell at a short distance from your house in some modest retreat of my own i shall not feel myself an intruder i am coming therefore my dear child to claim your affectionate welcome to taste the sweets of your bounty you have been most generous to me during my exile but i crave something more than pecuniary aid i languish for your society your ever dutiful regard i shall be with you perhaps in a day or two after you receive this letter for the first time therefore i may venture to close my sheet with au revoir instead of adieu your attached father james carew one would imagine my evil genius had put it into his head to come back at such a time thought sylvia i wonder whether i have an evil genius most people would say no for i have been so lucky but then the devils we read of gave their slaves all their desires at the outset she tried to calculate the time that must elapse before her father could arrive in england but his letter was too vaguely written it was dated nearly a week ago if he had followed it he might be in england already he would go straight to perriam place no doubt find her absent obtain her address from the housekeeper who would be awed by his paternal authority and come to willoughby crescent in quest of her hope whispered that he would come too late a bell rang loudly while she was standing with the letter in her hand a bell that sent a thrill of fear through her heart though it might be a commonplace summons enough she had been breakfasting in a boudoir that had been extemporized for her a bright little apartment adjoining her dressing-room 
this room was held sacred to her privacy and when a masculine step sounded presently on the landing she told herself it must be edmund no one else would venture to intrude at such an hour celine opened the door and screamed madame it is monsieur your father another moment and sylvia shedding tears of vexation was clasped to her father's breast not so fondly would he have clasped her in the old days when he was the parish schoolmaster and she his unrecompensed handmaiden it may be that severance had taught him the value of his only daughter my love he exclaimed with emotion this is rapture i knew not the feelings of a father's heart till this moment for half a minute or so he indulged those feelings and shed or seemed to be shedding paternal tears upon sylvia's soft brown hair after that gush of emotion he put her suddenly away from him let me look at you my love he exclaimed let me see how these two years have ripened your young beauty yes the bud is expanding into a blossom but it has not lost the freshness of its early bloom but my sweet sylvia what in heaven's name is the meaning of such a splendid dress at this early hour has fashion invented some morning assembly what is the meaning of this almost bridal attire sylvia looked him straight in the face nerving herself for a battle it simply means that i am going to be married she answered in her coldest hardest tones tones that meant no surrender you are going to to be married ejaculated mr carew six months after your husband's death such a husband as sir aubrey Perriam. i know that it may seem strange to you to the world answered sylvia but i do not hold myself accountable to the world or to you i consult my own feelings this time i sacrificed myself once to win comfort and ease for you it would be a poor return if you were to reward that sacrifice by opposition now that i seek happiness for myself the world will say hard things of you for this marriage sylvia let the world say what it will the world is always hard hard to the rich harder to the poor hard to beauty hard to virtue let the world hate me it can never trample on me again for i ask nothing from it i am my own mistress i am tired of a lonely unprotected life and i am going to marry the lover of my youth the only man i ever loved is that such a wicked act it is an improper act to marry six months after your husband's death i suppose if widow-burning were the fashion in this country you would come and ask me to be burnt alive rather than outrage society said sylvia with a bitter laugh you sold me to the highest bidder and you have profited by the bargain and are likely to profit by it for the rest of your life what more do you want did you intend to make a second barter to find another rich man to pay you the price of my broken heart that is unkind sylvia if i profited in a small degree by your union with sir aubrey you profited largely and i think you were as much gratified to become lady perriam as i was to see you raised to that proud position let us not dispute my love for your own sake i would entreat you to postpone your marriage there is no reason you should not marry mr standon when a decent interval has elapsed but if i have any influence with you i will exert it to the utmost to hinder your taking a step which will be the ruin of your good name you have no influence with me you exhausted all your stock of influence when you persuaded me to marry sir aubrey Perriam. 
you shall not come a second time between me and the man i love sylvia cried her father desperately cannot you understand that i have no objection to make to your ultimate union with mr standon i only ask you to respect the laws of society and to delay this marriage if only for six months delays are dangerous answered sylvia who knows what might happen in six months what have you to fear you who have youth wealth and beauty edmund standon has everything to gain by marrying you he might not always think so come my dear father continued sylvia in a lighter tone don't let us spoil this reunion by a needless dispute you have always taken your way in life let me take mine unassailed by advice or interference do this and we shall always be good friends oppose me and she finished the sentence with a shrug of her shoulders which was easy of interpretation what then asked mr carew in that case i must try to forget that i have a father very well sylvia take your own way after all it is your reputation and not mine that is at stake why should i trouble myself about the matter i have never been in the habit of making myself unhappy about other people's business let us say no more about it perhaps you will be good enough to give me some breakfast i went down to perriam yesterday found that you were living in london got your address from the housekeeper and came back to town by the evening mail i slept at the great western hotel and in my impatience to see you would not even wait to breakfast before coming here you shall not suffer for that sacrifice said sylvia gaily she was eager to conciliate this unwelcome parent now that he showed himself amenable to reason she rang the bell ordered the best breakfast the house could produce at ten minutes notice and presently mr carew found himself seated at a well-furnished table with his daughter opposite to him the aroma of choicest mocha ascending to his nostrils and a rush-bound flask of maraschino at his elbow after all papa if you will only take things pleasantly your unexpected arrival is not inopportune said sylvia ministering to her parents wants with daintiest care you can go to church with me i shall feel a less desolate creature if i have your arm to lean on my love no one is desolate with five thousand a year said mr carew sententiously for people with such an income the world teems with friends yes friends who are enemies in disguise wolves in sheepskin answered sylvia bitterly i shall not waste my money in paying for such friendship my only hope of happiness is with the man who loved me for my own sake when i was your penniless daughter mr carew ate his breakfast wound up with a glass of maraschino and discreetly held his peace after all as he had remarked just now his daughter's too speedy marriage would make no difference to him it was she who must suffer the world's scorn they drove to the church the new gothic temple with its painted windows which made patches of luminous colour in the half-light of the vaulted aisles edmund was waiting for them in the porch looking as happy as a bridegroom should look no remorseful thought troubled him to-day mind and heart were alike filled with one subject and that was sylvia he was surprised to see mr carew but welcomed him cordially ready to forgive and forget the schoolmaster's insolent reception of his proposal two years ago to-day was no day for the remembrance of old injuries marriage would be but a sorry business if every man were not a christian on his wedding-day my sylvia 
said the bridegroom proudly as he drew her a little aside from the clergyman and mr carew and looked at her with fond admiring eyes how lovely you have made yourself as if satin and lace were needed to enhance your beauty if you had come to me in rags had come to me a beggar girl out of yonder street i should love you every bit as well my sylvia mine at last mine for ever from to-day are you ready asked the clerk who had remained politely unconscious of this sentimental episode quite ready answered edmund putting sylvia's arm through his and moving up the aisle not quite i think when you have heard what i have to tell you said a familiar voice as mr bayne emerged from the shadow of a clustered column and stood in front of bride and bridegroom sylvia gave a cry of despair a shriek that echoed loud in the vaulted aisles and flung herself upon her lover's breast he shall not part us she said edmund edmund be true to me let him say what he will End of chapters fifty nine and sixty